Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the PropG podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropG Pod wherever you get your podcasts. What's going on, everybody? This is episode number 289 of the Talking Chop podcast. And for you adept listeners out there, I am not Brad Rowland. Uh, my name is Eric Cole. I am your guest host this evening. I, I, co- I host the Road to Atlanta podcast on this, on this very feed. You hear me as kind of his, Brad's co-host on occasion, along with my partner tonight, which who I'll get to in just a second, one Scott Coleman. But, uh, Brad is uh, dealing with some social obligations, so uh, Scott decided to, and I decided to record and uh, talk a little bit of baseball. Scott, how are you, man? I'm good, Eric. Always good to be on with you. And hey, anytime we can do one of these where the Braves have won three in a row and four out of five, it's it's certainly much better than the alternate of uh, they just got swept. Let's 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 be upset about it. So uh, good to be on, and hope you're doing well. Yeah, especially since we're going to be rebranding as a, a an Austin Riley fan podcast, it's nice to have one of the guys who's been believing in Austin uh, from day one uh, on the podcast with never me. Never in doubt. Never in doubt. Uh, yeah, ne- never, never in doubt. Never in doubt. Uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed passing out of nowhere, deciding to slide into your mentions too. Uh, he, he cracks me up. It's <laughs> out of yeah. nowhere. It just pops up. It's all uh, it's all in good fun, and and obviously anytime. I mean, Jeff, we we are uh, we're good buddies at this point. He tweets me. I get run off of Twitter for an hour and, and everyone has a good laugh and, um, but hey, as I've said, nobody is happier to see Austin Riley do well. Uh, I always maintain that, hey, pointing out stats that a player is struggling is not hating on a player. It's pointing out, hey, his stats are pretty bad. Uh, but hey, man, if, if Austin yep. wants yep. to become Chipper Jones 2.0 and, and be the Braves, uh, a cornerstone for the Braves for the next decade, we will, we will happily take it. Absolutely. Uh, and it was, and it definitely was harder. And, you know, spoilers, you know, Austin Riley is going to feature heavily in this podcast because he featured heavily in the Braves past week, uh, has six homers and 11 RBIs in his past seven games, which seems pretty good. And, you know, he's been a big part of that. Uh, and it's kind of wild to see the turnaround from the first two weeks where, you know, he was like, you know, league bottom of basically every advanced metric as well as just like offensive metric other than drawing walks. He was like hitting like soft rounders all over the place and was drawing some walks. That was about it. And now all of a sudden, again, he's kind of turned into Babe Ruth or as uh, Bowman was talking <laughs> about, uh, you know, Troy Gloss circa May of many years ago. Yeah. So uh, it's been it's been kind of a wild one. Um, we're going to get to the newsy sort of stuff. Uh, a lot of that's going to be kind of happening in the as we go down the games this week. There are a few newsworthy notes that we're going to do towards the end. But a lot of this, there's been a lot of lot roster movement this week. A lot of things that we kind of want to cover and understand uh, as we go through the weekend, we're going to start with Monday, uh, which was a busy day just even before the game started. Uh, for those who aren't aware, Waskar Inoa was announced to have a broken hand. Uh, he left his start where he didn't go very well on Sunday and uh, proceeded to hit a bench and broke his hand, which is pretty problematic for when he's probably the best pitcher on the Braves roster at the moment. Um, again, like when you're kind of going into that Monday game and you find out that, you know, Inoa's going to be out for what seems like probably closer to two months. 
Yeah. And then you, we're having to rely on like Tucker Davidson being recalled. And we're going to have to dip into that well again. What was kind of your initial impression? I mean, like, did you really think that like things could take a dive in a hurry? You know, it's just another thing. And there's just been, I mean, between the unfortunate injury to, to Mike Soroka and his comeback being delayed and just the wild range of injuries the Braves have had this year. And of course the frustrating losses, it, it really did just feel like yet another thing that the Braves are going to have to overcome if they're going to, if they're going to, you know, really compete this year. And Waskar has been so good on the mound for a team that really struggled to find consistent starting pitching the first month of the year. I believe they had the worst ERA in the national league during the month of April. Waskar was, was truly the one bright spot and, Hey, I know it was a bad moment for him. He was frustrated. I'm sure he would take it back if he could. But I guess if you are looking for a bright side here, the Braves do have the depth and a chance for a Tucker Davidson or a Bryce Wilson or maybe down the road a Kyle Wright type player to step up and fill that hole because it's, it is a pretty big loss for the team here for the next couple months. Absolutely. Uh, the roster move that happened on Monday was Tucker, Tucker Davidson being recalled. Uh, we'll get to his start on Tuesday here in a minute. Uh, in addition to that, Johan Camargo was recalled. Uh, for in some, I think, somewhat positive news in some ways, uh, Jesse Biddle was designated for assignment, uh, and that that was always felt like a spot on the roster that was kind of the easiest one to upgrade. And every time he came into games, it just kind of felt a little bit like a white flag was being run yeah. up. Um, uh, and also Ender Inciarte, uh, was very briefly put on the paternity list. Congratulations to Ender, by the way. Uh, we probably couldn't see our congratulations on Twitter because I'm pretty sure he's blocked anyone that has a Braves <laughs> logo in their, in their profile picture. But congratulations yeah. to him on being a dad. Uh, ho- hope, hope the family's doing well. Baby's doing well. Uh, he was back in, he was back in there later in the week. So obviously it doesn't seem yeah. like there was anything, like any complications or anything. But again, just congratulations to him. Uh, and that was again a pretty short stint. Um, the other big news was that Ronald Cunha Jr. returned after um, rolling his ankle in kind of a scary, you know, play at first base later late last week. That you know, when you saw it on the field when it initially happened, you're like, oh wow, that's, this is going to be the thing that puts him out for two months. And again, it was going to be just another one of those things where one of the Braves' bright spots was going to be out for a while. And then Max Freed leaves with a cramp in his hand in the game, but we'll yeah. get to we'll, we'll we'll get to that. Uh, kind of, what, do you have any sort of top line thoughts as to kind of how that that three one game went? Because I mean, again, it was pretty. I mean, the offense really didn't do much, and you know, beyond you know, Freed had a leaving in the seventh. I mean, the pitching was okay, I thought. Yeah, it really. My only takeaway, and it, it really applies to the entire Mets series, and even the loss to Pittsburgh later, the one loss they had is. You know, it feels like so many of these losses are the same game, right? Like it's it's almost yep. Groundhog's Day. It's it's close, and then they just can't find a way to pull it out. And whether it's you know a reliever giving up a home run or you know can't plate a runner, you know the Braves are just they've been so bad and continue to be bad in the tenth inning with the extra runner on second. Um, it, it kind of feels like Groundhog's Day every time we're at a close game in the seventh, eighth, ninth inning. And that, of course, is what separated the Braves the last three years as they won the division. It seemed like more times than not, they found a way to win those close games, whether it's uh, a big strikeout in a big spot or or a couple of bloops and a blast to take the lead or advancing on a pass ball. Whatever it was, they found ways to win. And through the first almost two months now, more times than not, they have not. I think Jeff Francoeur mentioned at one point, they're 0-8. I believe that record has changed since, but they were 0-8 in games where they were tied going into the eighth inning. Yep. Uh, that's bad. A little bit of that is just the randomness of baseball, and you would hope over a full season it would balance out. But 
I mean, that that's brutal. That's that's a tough way to lose games, and hopefully this is kind of the end of the of the early season struggles as we approach Memorial Day and, and really start to find out what teams are for real, and uh, it's just a matter of putting together more consistent games and finding ways to, to scratch out wins. Yeah, uh, it was a pretty frustrating game. It just felt like there was nothing they could get done offensively other than uh... – and we're going to be saying this a few times this week. Uh, Austin Riley hitting a home run. Uh, that was the sole run that the Braves scored in this game. Uh, coming into today's game, when, uh, spoilers, this number did get higher, uh, after the, today's game, uh, 150 WRC plus for Austin Riley this year, uh, with a 1.2 F4, uh, just like we all predicted, <laughs> uh, especially after those first two weeks. Um, the, the other thing that is worth mentioning is that there was a pretty scary moment in this game, and I felt terrible for all parties involved. Uh, Jacob Webb, uh, hit, uh, Kevin Pillar in the face with a fastball. Now, I have no earthly idea how Pillar ended up just picking himself off the ground and, like, walking off under his own power without any help. Because, like, if you, I don't know if you saw, like, what he looked like afterwards, like, kind of, you know, oh, maybe, yeah. like, the next day. Or, it, it was it was bad. And Webb was very clearly shaken up by it. Um, and, ha- frankly, hasn't looked really the same this, the rest of this week. And, honestly, I can I completely get that. Uh, it, it's been... Uh, it was a scary thing, and you know, Pilar had to undergo scans. I don't end up know what ended up happening with like you know how long he's going to be out and the severity of it or anything like that. But he was obviously very clearly like very injured, and Pilar was a class act about it. You know, yeah. it wasn't intentional or anything like that. Uh, just a fastball that got away from Webb, and you know, Pilar was very much like you know I hope that you know you know Webb can shake this off too because this is just something that happens sometimes. Yeah. But you know, I, I did want to uh, you know hat tip to Kevin Pilar. For you know, considering how scary that was, and he could have <laughs> he could have been understandably more upset than he was, and said he was like a total class act. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, again, this is a, an important Mets series. Uh, the, the Mets were kind of coming off; they were getting beat up, and they were kind of fielding basically half of their Triple A team during this series. And this was an opportunity for the Braves to kind of make some up some ground against them. And that's not what ended up happening because after losing that game three to one to the Mets on Monday. They take a tough loss, uh, four to three on Tuesday. Um, but it wasn't Tucker Davidson's fault. I'll say that. I think that he, you know, considering the circumstances he was under, six innings and three earned runs with five strikeouts in that situation being with the, like the, the biggest blemish being a two run homer to a guy who has seemingly just been given the Braves problems all year. I mean, I was happy with how he looked. Did you, were you happy with it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, very impressive. I thought the breaking stuff was sharp and, I don't have to tell you, he's a guy who has a good fastball, and if he can continually get his slider and his curve down in the zone, um, he was really good against lefties that night, and uh, I was impressed. I think he, he did enough to certainly warrant himself a chance to continue to show he belongs in the big leagues, and who knows what his role will be moving forward. Uh, but yeah, I was impressed, and, and I imagine you were too, just of all the, you've probably seen him more than just about anybody from his journey through the minors, and it was an impressive start, as you said, especially given the circumstances kind of being thrown into the fire there. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, you know, it's a funny thing with Tucker just because I think that there have been a few guys, like Ian Anderson was kind of an example of this too, is just like the changes in the balls uh, at AAA, you know, like from AA to AAA, and then like what it was like in the majors last year versus what it was this year. And, you know, like there's some talks to whether or not like things have been changing at the AAA level, like separate from the major leagues. Like there's like some experimentation going on. Um, despite all of that, one thing that's been constant this year is that Tucker's pitched well. He pitched well in Gwinnett. I think his, I thought his stuff looked great. He was getting some, got a good little wiggle on that like late movement on that fastball. Uh, and it, it was, it was pretty clear that they were having a lot of trouble picking it up. 
Um, and he was throwing strikes. That's the biggest thing with him is that, you know, at the very least, he's not giving up the free passes. He's going to make those guys earn it. You know, if a guy beats you on a homer, he beats you on a homer. But looked really good. Uh, has since gone back down to Gwinnett and he's pitching today and he's currently through five innings, one hit, one hit, one earned run, one walk, seven strikeouts. He's there going go. to be in, he's going to be in the picture going forward. Now it's, it kind of gets a little weird when you're, I mean, Bryce Wilson pitched, pitched well too and how those opportunities get divvied up. Especially with, you know, the two off days this week and, you know, how long are they going to try to, like, go, are they, or how long are they going to try to go out without a fifth starter? Do they need to try to go out with a fifth starter? It seems like they're going to be trying to go with a four man rotation, at least for a little while. You know, I don't know if they necessarily need to do that. I think they, I think they maybe giving these guys a shot makes some mm-hmm. sense, but I, I get why they want to carry an extra bullpen arm too. Considering, um, well, we'll we'll get to that as to how as to how this game goes. Uh, another home run for Austin Riley. Uh, you know, just like Scott predicted, just like we all predicted. Again, he's the Austin's again. He's just been mashing. It's been unbelievable. Uh, Homer, uh, a Freddie Freeman homer gets the bridge a little bit closer. Marcelo Zuna then ends up tying it with an RBI single. Uh, but beyond that RBI single and then uh, a homer in the uh, the blowout that would happen uh, later towards the weekend. Scott, Marcelo Zuna has just flat out not been good. Yeah. And I, I don't know what to make of it because I, I, you know, there's a lot of hypotheses as to, you know, him playing in the field has been kind of making, you know, making it harder for him, that making that transition back. But the break, like, for better or for worse, Marcelo Zuna is going to be a brave for the next few years. Are you concerned about him going forward or is this kind of a, just a rough spot for him? You know, I think there are some encouraging signs. Uh, to be honest, yes. I mean, I, I think it's only natural as we approach, what are we, a week from Memorial Day. Anytime a guy is still scuffling towards the end of May, it's not late, but it's not really early at this point either. Um, an encouraging sign is he has hit the ball pretty hard the last few days. I think he was one for four on Sunday, but he did have, I think, three balls that were hit very well and just right into the shift. Um Sure, would I like to? There was no way he was going to come even close to repeating last year. I mean, yeah, where he almost won a triple crown, right? I mean, that's sure. I mean, I I guess you could hope and and kind of close your eyes and pray it happens again. But realistically, we knew he was going to come back down a little bit. Uh, But as we approach the second, or as we end the second month of the year. There is some concern. He is chasing a little bit outside of the zone. He's been getting beat up pretty good on on sliders today. The Pirates especially threw him a heavy dosage of sliders um, down and away. You hope that eventually he kind of turns it around. He is somebody who is notoriously streaky and has been his entire career. So maybe he's hopefully he's coming out of one of those bad slumps and he's he's a guy who can single handedly carry a lineup for weeks at a time when he's in one of his his grooves. Uh, but yeah, it, it has not been a great first eight weeks or so of the season, and you hope Marcel, whether it's just having to play defense again or just the random nature of baseball, and hopefully another couple weeks in, we're talking about how he seems to have turned his year around. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, again, I I just don't I don't think that Marcel is the guy he was last year, and I don't think that's a fair expectation of him at all. But you know, he's also not this guy. He's he has always been a bit of a bad ball hitter. You know, he's a bit of a chaser, but when he's on, like, he hits these balls that, like, you could basically bowl up to the plate and he could still get them out. He's just not really doing that right now. Um, and, again, he found some some hard-hit balls he's been hit lately. I've been finding gloves. I will ask, though, since now we are approaching Memorial Day, I'm, and I'm with you, right? I'm not, it's not a long-term concern with me with Marcel. But, we are again, we are approaching Memorial Day. 
is there do you entertain the idea at all of moving him in the lineup at all? Uh, you know, it, it's a good question. I I don't know. I mean, could you drop him down to fourth, fifth, something like that? Maybe. Um, I, I don't know. I think there's something to be said. It, right now, he's not hitting well, obviously, but and it's being noticed more, of course, because he's batting behind Freddie Freeman and Ronald Acuna, and presumably there's right. there's a lot of runners on. Um, I don't know. I mean, do you do you kind of ride this hot streak from Austin Riley and move Austin up in the order a little bit? Ozzy Albies had a tremendous weekend. Do you do you move Ozzy up? Those are probably the only two guys who I could realistically make a case for moving up in the order. Now Dansby, he did have a home run on Sunday, but it continues to strike out. Honestly, his line is pretty similar to Marcel's at this point. Um, you know, Contreras. Yeah, he's, is, he's just yeah. had to work up to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and there are some signs encouraging from Dansby, but I, you know, I don't think he's someone who you're going to move up right now. Of course, you're not moving Contreras or, uh, whoever's playing in center field that night up. So maybe, I mean, maybe it would give him a little bit of a mental breather. And again, whenever you're struggling, it seems like the biggest moment of the game always seems to find you. Uh, baseball <laughs> that, one. Um, yep. but uh, hopefully Marcel's a veteran. Um, his batted ball profile is not the ungodly statue that it was a year ago, but uh, again, it is it is fairly early. Um, but if if we're having the same conversation in two or three weeks, Eric, then I think it's like, uh oh, like <laughs> we're, we're we're tied to this guy for another three and a half years. Like, is was last year an anomaly? You know what what's going on? Yeah, see, I, I do think that Marcel is going to end up climbing out of it. And again, it I don't think he's going to put up last year's numbers. He might for a month be kind of doing what, you know, we've seen like Ronald do last week, last month. Austin's doing this month. Ozzy's doing this month. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not super worried about him long term. I would entertain the idea of hitting him fifth or something like that, though. Just because, like, for starters, just Austin and Ozzy have just been insane. And, you know, again, it might just give Ozuna a chance just to kind of not be in that position to kind of, put his struggles like on display for everybody. You know what I mean? And I don't think that that, you know, hitting Marcelo Zuna fifth in the lineup is going to be like just like grand in, you know insult or anything like that. He's not he is certainly not bad enough to like bat, you know, below, you know, Contreras oh, or, you know, he like again, just kind of just batting him a little down in the order, getting some of these guys who are really seeing the ball well and hitting the ball well, getting them some more at bats and it just might end up putting Marcelo in a better position to succeed. Uh, I don't. I, I foresee Marcelo Zuna being like a number three hitter in this Braves lineup for a long time, and you know it might not always be pretty. It might not always be as you know insane as it was that we saw in 2020. But I see him still as a good hitter, and I see him still as a threat. You know, and I think that maybe just moving him down just a little bit might might do him some good. We'll see. Uh, I, I but I'm I'm with you. I, I don't. I'm I'm not super worried. I'd entertain the idea of just changing things up just to see if maybe. A little change just gets him going or, you know, changes things yeah. to how he's being pitched to. We'll see. Um, after that, uh, so it get, we're at a tie game now. Uh, and um, Luke Jackson, surprisingly, wasn't that much of an experience this time. Did his <laughs> job. Tyler Matzik did his job. And then <laughs> Will Smith gives up a game, basically ends up being the game-winning homer to Tomas Nito. Will Smith yeah. has been, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. It's it's tough because you're 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 paying him all this money and you know he when he looks good he looks really good, but he's looked really un, uneven this this year, Scott. And I I am approaching a certain amount of concern with Will Smith because again, other than that late late season run last year through the playoffs, 
Will Smith has not looked good in a Braves uniform. No. He's, there's times he's looked fine, but good was just a very short a short amount of time. And I, I, given how volatile relievers are, I, I, I have found myself to be a little concerned. And every time he's in a game, I'm just like, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you don't know. And at the end of the day, closers are going to be judged by their results. And the encouraging thing with Will is if you look at his underlying metrics, they are better. Um, his ERA sits at 4.5, which is, I mean, it's not great. It's not, it's not as bad as it was. Uh, you know, it's not like it's in the sevens or eights and you're like, we can't reasonably put this guy in the game anymore. Um, but th- there are some, he's still striking guys out. He's at a 12. Uh, 12.0 strikeouts per nine. He is walking some guys too. It's up to four batters per nine, which is not great. The home runs, uh, while he has given up a couple are not nearly as high as it was a year ago, but. Yeah, where it felt like it was every game, yeah. Yeah, every game he was getting, he was getting pounded. Um, it, you, you have to keep running Will Smith. I know people have said, do you bring him, you know, do you lower his role or something like that? Maybe a little bit, but the thing is, you already have, Tyler Matzik and AJ Minter from the left side. It's not like you just could, you know, potentially repurpose Will as a, as a lefty specialist or in the, the middle innings and then move, I don't know, a Shane Green or Chris Martin to the more important ninth inning spot. But yeah, I mean, I think that the, the reason of concern is fairly high. Again, he's, it's not like, uh, it's not like this is a guy who didn't have a history of, of getting big leaguers out consistently, but Clearly, since coming over from the Giants a year and a half ago now, he has not been even close to the same guy he was with San Francisco. No, and again, it's we're talking about small samples here. Uh, it is, in fact, May 23rd. It is not August 23rd, and we're still seeing you know Will Smith, you know, games that he's coming in that are close. We end that the Braves end up losing, but it's something that I'm certainly keeping an eye on. Is that, you know, just, you know, at what point do you need to start going? Because, look, every time Chris Martin's in a game, like, it's an easy one, two, three inning. It just yeah, feels like it is. And, and, he's really and, good. And, and, yeah, he's, he's, he's insane. Now, you know, maybe he's made of glass. It's entirely possible. But, yeah. you know, but, you know, for those really high leverage situations, I almost prefer to go in that direction. After that, I mean, I mean, is there that much difference between right now, Tyler Matzik, AJ Minter and Will Smith, there might not be because again, these all are guys who've had their moments where you're just like, what are you guys doing? You know, but at the same time, you know, it's not, it's not like there's just a, other than Chris Martin is like that highest of leverage situations. You're right. There's not like a clear answer as to like, you know, what you would, like what you would put, where you'd put Will. It's kind of like, this is probably a better spot for him because there's a lot of those kind of guys that you kind of sort of trust, but they're also make you a little bit nervous. And that's kind of where Will is right now. Uh, and then yeah. there's Luke Jackson, who raises my blood pressure every time I see him on the mound. But again, he's also a guy who, you know, other than uh, one game in particular this week, uh, he, uh, you know, he he tends to get out of it. Yeah, you just never know. That's what makes the Luke Jackson experience fun. Um, I think fun. last yeah. year, <laughs> fun, that's your word. Uh, you know, last summer, and again, we're talking about 60 games, but last summer we were so spoiled with just an elite bullpen Seven or eight guys you could genuinely trust and put in the game at really any point and feel pretty good about it. It worked out last year, of course. They did not bring back uh, Mark Melanson, who leads baseball in saves right now on a good Padres team. And uh, Darren O'Day got hurt. We'll see, you know, how many innings he can realistically throw. And 
And I think really for, for most people, it wasn't necessarily so much losing the bullpen arms, the guys they let walk. Cause I, I genuinely or generally agree that you don't want to invest heavy, heavy dollars into your bullpen. But I think the real concern was is nobody of, uh, pr- with a proven background was brought in to replace those, those arms that you lost. And through the first couple months of the year, it has again, going back to their struggles in the late innings generally it's it's because the bullpen has not been sharp late in games and and that's the reason as we sit here today that they're a game below 500 yeah when you both lose arms that would be valuable i mean melanson obviously would have been valuable in this bullpen uh shane green is back and well technically back he's gonna have to make some appearances in gwinnett before he comes back up and once once green's back up maybe all these roles kind of start settling in themselves and everyone's being put in better positions right like you know this is a very lefty bull bullpen right heavy bullpen right now maybe once you get green in there then you can kind of put will you know smith in some better positions uh you can bring in you know shane green to deal with righties etc etc but you know we'll see how that goes um now the wednesday game was uh ivan was the one that wrote up this game and and i love ivan a lot there's a situation where there's um at the beginning of our re- recaps, generally it's just kind of like, you know, this is kind of what happened in the game, et cetera, et cetera. But in Ivan's case, he said this was a crazy game, and let me explain why. Uh, Charlie Morton has had some of the worst luck in terms of batted balls in, uh, amongst the Braves starting staff. I'm pretty sure that's right. I mean, there's, you know, there's been certainly been some games where, you know, individual starts have been bad. But this is an example of what happened in this game. The expected batting average for the Mets in this game was 175. Whereas the Braves had an expected batting average of 405. And the last time that there was a batting average close to that high, like that the team ended up scoring like 10 runs and went wild, that is not what happened in this game. It took everything the Braves could, despite hitting the crap out of the ball, to scratch up, to be in contention late in this game. But they ultimately prevailed by the final score of 5-4. to four. Um, So... And uh, by the way, Charlie Morton uh, got in on the game himself as he uh, somehow managed to hit an RBI single in this game. What are your? I, I haven't had a chance to talk to you about it because, and I'm sure you've talked to Brad about it. Like, what are, what were your expectations of Charlie Morton going into the season? And like up until now, like, how are you feeling about that signing at the moment? So uh, you know, I'm a big Charlie Morton fan. Uh, he was so good with Tampa Bay, and so far on a results basis. He has not been great, right? His ERA sits at 4.6, which is not outstanding. But you look at his underlying metrics and you talked about how Charlie has been one of the more unlucky guys in in the entire league. Um, The strikeouts are really good. He's not walking a ton of guys. His walks are up a little bit compared to previous years and so are the home runs. But, you know, he has a 4.6 ERA. But if you look at like his FIP, it's at 3.91. His XFIP, 3.45. So I think Charlie will be fine. He's a veteran. Um, he, you know, he did have that one game against the Phillies where even though they were unearned, he gave up, what was it, seven runs, eight runs in the first. Yeah, it wasn't Obvious, Yeah, I mean, obviously, before, you know, before the, the Braves even pick up a bat, the game is effectively over at that point. Um, so, sure, as we approach Memorial Day, would I like to say that Charlie has been better than a 4-6 ERA? Of, of course. Um, but... Ultimately, I think as long as he stays healthy, he's going to be better. Um, he had a, a better start this week, and 
anytime he's on the mound, it's not one of those situations where, like when Drew Smiley's on the mound, you kind of hold your breath, or at least I do, and go, okay, all right, let's, let's, yeah. things are going okay, but let's not have the wheels fall off. Um, but with Charlie, I think while he has not been great, I, I certainly trust him, and as long as his body holds up over the year, I feel pretty good about where he's going to be, and, and I think better days are in the future. Yeah, I tend to agree. Uh, and again, like, so he's certainly, other than that one, like, dumpster fire of a start that you mentioned, you know, it, there's been a certain amount of just some bad luck on his end, too. Uh, again, this game was notable in that, you know, it seemed like every little dribbler was just making its way through against him, and it seemed like a game that the Mets were doing their absolute best to not win, and we're still finding ways to win, and the Braves were, like, doing everything they could to win, and, like, just couldn't get a catch a break to save their lives. Uh, but, we got to go into the later innings. The game's tied, uh, you know, with uh, RBI singles from Heredia, and then we have uh, obviously an RBI single from Charlie Morton. Enter AJ Minter, who's been again a guy who's been looks good sometimes, has had some moments in others, and this was no exception in this particular game. Is he got two he got two outs early, and then kind of has a meltdown, and all of a sudden the Bra- the the Mets are threatening. They've got two runners in scoring position. This is where the bullpen decisions start getting a little bit puzzling for me because if I'm in that situation in a tie game late and I'm given the choice between Chris Martin and Luke Jackson, I pull the trigger on Chris Martin 10 times out of 10. That is not what happened here is that Luke Jackson comes in because, again, Luke is a guy who when he starts an inning and the base paths are clean, the first thing he's going to do is to make sure he's going to have two runners on base before he ends up, you know, getting that strikeout to end up getting out of it. But when he's on with runners on, it makes me, it just makes me more nervous and it just seems like not in a situation he excels. Now, that said, it's kind of hard to be upset with the end result where Thomas Nito, <laughs> noted, noted Braves killer, just yeah. bloops one in and ends up scoring two runs. All of a sudden, the, all of a sudden the Mets are leading. Yeah, I mean, Tomas Nito, man, who. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's always a guy like that. It's always yeah. a guy that's like, you know, Hasn't like a, hit against anybody all year, and he just, yeah. like, rakes against you. And, and all of a sudden, he doesn't make an out for three games when you need to win a couple. Yeah. Um, as you said, again, it, it's kind of been a theme. It seems like anytime the Braves have a lead late, the bullpen has not been great. It's it's not as if they are one of the worst units in the league by any means, but they've just had some moments late in games, and, and those things stick out, right? Like, you don't remember when a team is up as they did this weekend against the Pirates – when the bullpen throws three scoreless and the score is eight to one, you don't remember those games, right? Like right. at the end of the day, they, they count all the same as when you're tied four to four in the ninth inning. Um, but you remember those. Uh, it was not a great night. There was some bad luck as, as you and as Ivan pointed out, but thankfully Ronald Acuna, uh, saved the Braves a little bit. And that was a big, big hit, especially I think it was like his, it might have been his first hit since, uh, the ankle injury, which was so scary. Um, so thankfully Ronald was able to pull that one out because the last thing you wanted to do is, is get swept by the Mets when they had, you know, a third of their team on the injured list. Yeah, it was pretty much, that, that's pretty much how, how exactly it went. Uh, did get some help from one William Contreras who has been scuffled, kind of scuffled this weekend, but has been really good since calling, being called up, uh, at the plate, uh, gets an RBI single to tie it in the bottom of the seventh. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the Braves had opportunities to take the lead in that game. Uh, but, you know, Guillermo Heredio just couldn't get a butt down. And then Dansby, for reasons that no one really understands, tried to steal third base and it ends up being caught stealing for the third out in that inning. Not great. 
Um, Will Smith had another interesting outing uh, at the top of the ninth. Uh, manages to a runner gets on and then you know, a wild pitch and all of a sudden he's uh, there's a runner sitting at third that he ends up having, finding a way to strand there. And as you alluded to, uh, one Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh, I'm pretty sure you're right. That was his first hit back. He had walked a few times because uh, I don't think that even though he was doing so on one foot, I don't think people were particularly interested in pitching to him too much since he came back. Uh, but they had to in this particular situation. And, you know, his first walk-off home run, which I didn't realize was the case. He's had some walk-off hits, I think. But, I mean, I say I think. I know he's had some walk-off hits. But first walk-off homer of his career, uh, I imagine it won't be the last, the, the last Braves secure that win. That concludes the Mech series, uh, which the Braves do end up losing two out of three. But considering that it could have been, as Scott mentioned, it could have been a lot worse. That takes us to a, a pretty important Pirate series. Not because, you know, this is a division rival or anything like that. The Pirates are probably one of the, the worst teams in baseball right now. But this is where the Braves need to make up some ground. Uh, and after we get back from this break, from word from our sponsors, we'll talk about how the Braves managed to do just that. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Prop G Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. All right, Scott, it's time to talk some Pirates baseball. And the first game of the series didn't go so great. Um, uh, Ender <laughs> did, did return from the paternity list. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll say this about – this was a Drew Smiley start. I thought he was pretty good. Gave up a couple home runs on some balls that kind of hung in the zone for too long. But considering, like, how bad he looked early in the season, the last few starts have looked pretty good. And six innings and three runs from your starters – that seems perfectly reasonable to expect from Drew Smiley. I mean, did you think he looked okay? Yeah, Drew has certainly been better in his last couple starts. He's still not, um, you know, he's still not dominant by any means, but I think at this point it's pretty clear that last season, it's weird to even call it a season, last year's 60 games was a little bit of a blip where he was striking out the entire world and his fastball was sitting to, you know, the mid-90s regularly. Um, but he has been better. His last couple starts have come against pretty bad lineups. And hey, at the end of the day, every out and every run counts the same. But, um, you know, he, he did look good and uh, you, it's a lineup that he should be able to pitch pretty well against. And as, as we have said in recent podcasts, if Drew can give you a solid five, six, seven innings every night or every fifth night and give up as, just as he did on Thursday, if he gives up three runs, couple of homers, but, uh, eats some innings, doesn't kill the bullpen, and, and serves as a solid fourth or fifth starter. I, I think that's perfectly fine at this point in the year, and hopefully as the year progresses, he's able to keep getting a little bit better. Yeah, and stay healthy for that matter. It's something that you do worry about with him, especially as bad as he looked. You wonder maybe if he was just not particularly healthy. 
because uh, just things have seemed to go so far south for him so quickly. But he has looked better. Uh, I do wish we had seen see more swings and misses out of his stuff. But, you know, considering what we were seeing, this this is a step in the right direction. And maybe he can kind of get back to occasionally, not maybe not all the time, but occasionally putting together one, uh, some some of those starts where it feels like that he just kind of carries the team to victory himself. Because he's a pitcher that's perfectly capable of do, doing that with the breaking ball he has. Um, the Braves had their chances in this game. Um, they had a bases, bases loaded chance, which unfortunately a Freddie Freeman strikeout uh, ended up killing that opportunity. Uh, the big offensive blow in the game went from, again, William Contreras with a three-run bomb. Uh, gave the Braves a 3-2 lead in the game. But uh, after the Pirates hit a home run, Dansby hits a home run, uh, which started up. Like, he's been on a pretty good little five-game run here. Gave the Braves a 4-3 lead. And then... The Braves bullpen enters the chat again. Uh, this feels like we're kind of this, this feels a lot like the every the, night. The, I'm serious. Yeah, every it, night, it, it's, it, yep, yeah. it's close, and then it just doesn't happen. Uh, yeah. Sean Newcomb comes in. Uh, speaking of a guy who not particularly excited to see on the mound, uh, gives up the tying run thanks to a wild pitch. Uh, Edgar Santana, who's been off and on okay since joining the Braves, uh, gets him out of the inning. Uh, Tyler Matzik and Chris Martin again, both have been pitching pitching well. Get send the game to extra innings. Uh, Jacob Webb starts the 10th and promptly gives up a run and loads the bases. This is his first appearance since hitting Kevin Pillar earlier in the week. Yep. Uh, again, not that surprising that he would, would, would struggle in that situation. And at that point, you're kind of running out of options once you're kind of getting the extra innings. That's kind of why you want to avoid extra innings anyway. Because you have one, you have the extra runner that you're kind of having to deal with. And then you're putting guys that you're not necessarily super enthusiastic about relying on. Um, Grant Nathan comes in, gives up a sack fly, ends up being a 6-4 lead. And that ends up where it, it ends up ending just because the Braves, the heart of the order, just one, two, three. It was fairly, it was a fairly easy romp from there for the Pirates and they get a win. And at this point, the Braves have lost three of their past four on a week where they really feel like they need to be making some hay. Uh, Braves fans everywhere were starting to get nervous and a little bit grumpy about how poorly the team had been playing. And then the weekend games come and yeah. the start of it is a doozy. Uh, the Friday game, uh, took a while to, Resolve itself, but for all the right reasons, the Braves won this game twenty to one. Uh, I haven't seen a a beatdown like that since uh, the Marlins game last year, where you know uh, who I forget who uh, it was one of the starters that we frankly don't want to mention that the Braves ever had on their roster again. But things kind of went squirrely, and then all of a sudden the offense decided to score, you know, all the runs and put up a football score. But uh, kind of lost in that. Ian Anderson was good again, you know, six innings. Again, not not kind of the dominant starts that we've had seen from him before, where, like, he almost, like, you know, throws – he's, like, doing no hitters and, you know, putting up 10, 11 strikeouts in the game. But six innings, no runs, six strikeouts. You take that, especially from your rookie pitcher, all the time, all the time. And I think he looked great. Yeah, I think for a guy who is, I believe, yeah, is still a rookie or has his rookie eligibility – Ian has like the quietest 2.8 ERA in baseball. Like he, he's been really good this year. And of yeah. course, anytime you burst onto the scene, like he did last September and carry the team, uh, in September and in, in October to the NLCS. Um, yeah, I mean, if Ian is so impressive, he's so poised. I think you never know about the mental side of the game with players, right? You can't read minds, but I think for a, a young player in his situation last year, I think players of his type probably benefited from not having 50,000 screaming people in the stands, right? Like you can kind of, you settle in, your nerves aren't 
as bad. I'm sure that. he was still. Yeah, right. Like I get it. And hey, getting big league hitters out in today's day and an era is is very difficult to do. Um, and for Ian to settle in the way he has this year, especially with Max Fried, who had the injuries early on, and we talked about Morton and Smiley and their ups and downs, and of course no Soroka and no Waskar for the immediate future. Um, Ian has been incredibly consistent. He had, I think he's, I think except for one game this year, he's pitched into the sixth inning, which is really important, right? Like you don't want to feel like you have to burn the bullpen every fifth day for him. Strikeouts are good. He's, he's lowered his walk rate a little bit as well, which is encouraging. So he is very impressive and is almost under the radar because he is just so consistently good. Yeah, he had like definitely been a bit under the radar because you know once when Enoa was on his run and just like kind of carrying the team <laughs> to victory in, in multiple circumstances, like you kind of forget that you know Ian's still a rookie and he was performing fine. He he had you know again one start which wasn't great, but he's also had some really good starts this year and he's just he has just done the work and he was good again. And if if you get something similar to that out of Ian every night, like. He's going to low-key be like a strong rookie of the year contender at the end of the year because yeah. when you have a guy who you know throws as many innings as he does and has the, has the strikeout rate that he has, and you get the end of the year and like this kid has like a sub three ERA mm-hmm. on what we assume will be a pretty good Braves team. Uh, how good is going to depend on a lot, but you know, and you know for rookie of the year contention and things like that, that that goes a long way, uh, and I, he will get more consideration than I think certainly than he is right now. Because again, he's just kind of just doing his thing, just constantly just putting up very good results. Not just not not like the you know twelve thirteen strikeout games. He's not yeah. you know lighting up the the radar gun with hundred mile an hour fastballs. But the guy knows how to pitch, and yeah. you know he's looked really good. Uh, now that explains the one part of this score. <laughs> the twenty uh, requires a, a bit more explanation because a lot's going on in this game. Uh, and we're not going to go through all the offensive highlights because when a team scores twenty runs. Frankly, uh, it just means that a lot of good things are happening, and we're just going to forget about them, and it would just take too long to do all that. But uh, it starts with a Ronald Acuna Grand Slam. That's always a good way to start. Uh, opposite field, uh, <laughs> like you do, like you do, because you know every time Ronnie hits those, where like it looks like it should be a lazy fly ball, and it just keeps going. Just reminds you of how strong he is, and just how good he is as a hitter. Uh, and then two different instances in this game where the Braves hit back-to-back home runs, uh, both of which. Um, feature Scott's favorite player, Austin Riley. Uh, <laughs> Ozzie Albies and Austin Riley go back-to-back. Then Riley gets his second home run of the game, which yeah. is the only the first time this week that he has a multi-home run game uh, yeah. as uh, Riley and Dansby go back-to-back. Uh, Ozzie has a big night, too. Adrianza uh, awaiting his statue outside Truist Park at a grand slam. Uh, even Marcel hit a solo shot, and he's been scuffling. Uh, overall, just a very, very good night offensively. Yeah. You know, the, you know, obviously, there's th- that's the takeaway there is just that the whole offense was doing good things last uh, on Friday night, uh, and you know, it's kind of hard for the the bullpen to blow a 20 run read, which was which was good. They gave up a run late, <laughs> but that was uh, but that, but that was pretty much it. Yeah, I mean, it it was a good night. You needed it after another frustrating extra innings loss on Thursday, and even though they scored. Eight of those runs against a position player in the in the eighth inning. Hey, um, they still they still hey, count. I don't care what Tony Larusa says. It, right, I was gonna say, did Tony Larusa approve the ninth or eighth inning grand slam there? I, I don't know. We need to check with Tony on that one. Um, <laughs> oh, but well, yes, I, no. it was. <laughs> I, I, I will mention. Uh, I, 
there was one kind of funny moment, and some people were getting a little bit grumpy about it, about how Snitger handled it, was that Ronald Acuna was considering batting left-handed against that oh, position yeah. player, against Defoe. I, I get why Snitger called him back. I mean, I, I do too. <laughs> that, that, if, there, there's, there's, there are some lines. I mean, I'm, I don't think Defoe would have cared this scenario, to be, to be blunt about it, but, you know, like, it would have, it would have turned into a thing if they if they let him do it. Yeah. I think Snicker was right, and I, I thought Snicker was actually pretty funny about it. You know, he saying he's had he has some grandkids he has to put through college. Uh, yeah. He doesn't have to explain that. So I, I I think it would have been funny, but I understand why it happened. And I, I think Acuna ended up striking out in that debate actually. Yeah, he did. And I, you know what? There were a couple of I don't even remember what account people were trying to make that more than what it was. I get it. Like, if Ronald goes up there and tries yeah, to bat left-handed and pulls an oblique and misses the next month, like, oh that is the yes. kind of thing that, I mean, genuinely could, like, derail the season. Um, I know it's fun. It is not the same, you know, Tony La Russa dumping on his own player for, for swinging. Because my thing is, look, if the other team gets to have fun and bring in a position player to pitch an inning, you lose your right to complain about the rules and the unwritten rules about baseball, right? Like if if you bring in your backup second baseman to come throw the eighth inning when you have six other guys in the bullpen who could do it, don't cry if if the other team just starts launching them, especially with things like arbitration and the way free agency that's, that's, is held now. Yeah, that's like, what I was going to say. Like yeah. I don't want to hear a word from you when an arbitration-eligible player – who would have swung away on a position player throwing 50 miles an hour, but didn't because of the unwritten rules of baseball, and then go, sorry, your power numbers don't quite match up to your peers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we we think we feel like this is this number that we're filing at is more fair. I don't want to hear it. Yeah. I I don't. I'm with you. And I, again, I thought it was silly. I and Larusa's, La you know, the point that you know when you have a 3-0, you know, take, you know, sign, maybe you don't swing through that sign. I sort of understand that. You don't like make a point of throwing your player under the bus and then making it okay and in fact sanctioned for the other team to throw at that player blew yeah. my mind. Blew my mind. And I don't say and Snicker wouldn't do that. He was just saying, hey, don't do that, Ronnie. Yeah, <laughs> and Ronnie don't, and, don't, and, and, yeah, Ronnie didn't <laughs> Ronnie didn't Ronnie didn't pitch a fit about it. You know, he's just like, okay. No. I mean like look, yeah. if Ronald Lacuni is given an opportunity to be funny and entertaining, he's gonna do it. But the guy knows how to, the, the, the kid knows how to do his job. Obviously he's great at baseball too. That certainly helps. Um, so 21 win on, on Friday, uh, you kind of go into the weekend hoping they didn't blow all their offense in that game. They did not. Uh, we go into Saturday. Uh, this leads to a six to one game, uh, win over the pirates. Uh, Bryce Wilson looked really, really good. Pitched late into the game too. pitched into the seventh inning. Just again, he has his starts where he looks rough and they seem to always happen against the Cubs which is kind of a weird thing for me. Yeah, but yeah. other than that, other than that, I mean, you know, looked good in the playoffs last year. He's had some good starts for the Braves this year. Uh, he's going to make – both Bryce and Tucker are going to make this not an easy decision to make regarding kind of how these, like, starts, these fill-in starts for Enoa, for Soroka in, in those spots going forward because – and it seems like to me anyway that these two guys have really separated themselves from Kyle Wright for the foreseeable future, not just the next couple starts. You know, Bryce, he's not sexy on the mound. He's not pumping 100 miles an hour. He doesn't have a giant curveball that makes batters fall over. But, you know, he he looks the part of a solid back-end big league starter for a long time, and, and there's value in that. You noted him pitching into the seventh inning, which is great. Um, again, it, it's the Pirates we're talking about here. There was a great note that this weekend 
in the four games, the Braves hit 15 home runs, which is, uh, half as many as the Pirates hit all year long. So Oof. you're not, <laughs> you're not talking about a 27 Yankees lineup here with the Pirates, but at the end of the day, uh, you can only pitch against the guys who step into the box against you. And, and Bryce was, was impressive and he's been pretty good this year. Again, I, I don't think anyone expects him to be a number one ace and strike out 250 guys in the season. But without Waskar and, and with the inevitability at some point this summer, one of the starters is or more will get injured or need a breather. Um, it's good to have that depth. We've talked, of course, that anymore in today's baseball, you need seven or eight starting pitchers you can realistically hand the ball to and maybe not feel great about, but, but feel comfortable with. And I think Bryce has certainly improved to the point where you don't, you don't worry about him. And, you know, in the, in the back of the mind of the manager that night, you, you send Bryce out to the mound and it's like, all right, when are we get in the bullpen up here? Is it the third inning? Is it the fourth inning? Uh, Bryce has done a nice job working into games and throwing strikes and, uh, inevitably he's going to give up some hits because the stuff is not a plus by any means, but um, he is a looks to be a, a solid back end starter here moving forward. Yeah, when he's commanding his pitches as well as he can, he's kind of, he the fastball is like is heavy enough where it's just kind of hard to square up, and that's when he does that. That's just when he does well. He gets those ground balls and he gets those weak flyouts. Uh, it's when you know the pit instead of you know, kind of hitting the top of the zone or the bottom of the zone, and instead it kind of sits in the middle is when he can kind of get himself in trouble. But uh, fortunately, he was on. He was on on Saturday. Ronald Acuna is still ridiculous. First pitch of the game, he sees home run number fifteen goes out. Uh, yeah. He's insane. Like yeah. like this 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 is this has been a like a down month for him as opposed to last month, and he still has like seven or eight home runs this month. Has had you know had to miss time because he rolled his ankle. He got hit in the hand where, you know, like he, like he keeps getting dinged up, has had like some cold stretches here and there, and he still looks insane. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's still, huh. it's, it's, it's like, it's kind of wild. Like we're seeing like, this isn't peak Ronnie. This is just what he does when, you know, things are just kind of eh for him. Uh, looking forward to kind of seeing him get hot again, but because uh, in his case, when he gets hot, you know, if you want to talk about a guy who can single-handedly carry an offense, I mean... Yeah, again, it's kind of, we could we could go on and on, and we have before about what Ronald Acuna Jr. can and could be this year, uh, and he's well on his way. 15 home runs uh, through May 23rd uh, mm-hmm. has already surpassed his total from last year, which is uh, <laughs> which is something else. Uh, you know, 60 game season and the usual caveats there apply. But um, Freddie Freeman uh, steals second and scores an RBI single to get another run in. Bryce gives up a solo homer, and then Ozzy Albies, who. Again, we've we've mentioned him a couple times, but it's worth noting how good he's been. Hits a two-run bomb, makes it a five-one lead, and then hits another home run to make it in the seventh to make it a six-one lead. He's kind of a one-man wrecking crew on Saturday. Ozzy Albie's again for a guy who like has gotten no respect league-wide is one of the top five second basemen in baseball, despite the fact that he started off kind of slow this year and has kind of low-key been putting up some pretty good offensive numbers for the last few weeks. Yeah, I mean, Ozzy, man, he's, he's remarkable. I, I was tweeting and I don't have to tell you about this. You know, the Braves farm system better than anyone, but again, with his size, he was never a power hitter in the minors until he no, reached triple A. No. Um, I did quick math. I think he had seven home runs total in his first 1300 professional plate appearances. And I know he was still a teenager for a lot of those, but the way he has morphed his body, he is 
truly strong as an ox. I don't know if he has a an ounce of fat on his frame. He's just so, so strong and has that nice compact swing, especially from the right side. I mean, I I would hate to be a left-handed batter facing Ozzy. Just he's so so good, um, and he's he's really tapped into his power from the left side too. Um, just a remarkable player. Uh, I, I think we're we're seeing him really come into his own now that he's been in the league a couple years. And of course, he had the wrist injury a year ago where it just kind of zapped his power entirely. Um, he is quietly, he's always going to be overshadowed by the greatness of Acuna and Freddie and even Marcel when he's going right, those types. But, um, yeah, Ozzy had a tremendous weekend and, uh, he had been scuffing a little bit before that. So it's good to see him break out of it. And if he, he may be the, the smallest cleanup hitter in baseball history, but if he wants to keep launching, <laughs> uh, uh, if he wants to keep launching on. homers, yeah. I was about to say, Jose Altuve is in that conversation too. He's like the other guy, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's uh, the other other tiny guys. I will say one thing about Ozzy is though, I met him very early on uh, when I was writing, and again, it was a period where like you know, you know, I didn't speak Spanish, he didn't speak very much English, but I remember shaking his hand, and like it was not like shaking a small guy's hand. And like, I kind of like got my hand crushed a little bit and I'm like, wow, that guy's, so we may note that like, you know, he will pet for a little more power than we thought, but he was, we kind of felt like he was more likely to like be a batting title type of guy than, you know, mashing home runs. And as it turns out, you know, I don't know if Ozzy's ever going to contend for a batting title because the swing from the left side, I don't think lends itself to that kind of profile, but we know he can hit the ball plenty far and with frequency in doing so. And it's been kind of wild to kind of see that transition in the major leagues as to where he's you know, a legitimate power threat. You can't, you know, playing in against him is t- tempting fate, uh, despite the fact of what he looks like and, you know, how he runs and all that stuff, because he's definitely a guy that is, has some, uh, has some danger in that bat of his. Um, after that, uh, going into the bullpen after Bryce Wilson comes out in the seventh inning, Tyler Matzik comes in in a 6-1 game that is somehow a higher leverage reliever situation then games where the Braves have been tied or down by a run. Uh, this is kind of what we get back to is just kind of how these guys are being used. If you're trying to find spots to, you know, maybe not give, you know, have to pitch the eyes and give them rest, which is what Snicker has alluded to, that he doesn't want them pitching in games that they're behind because otherwise they're going to get used too much, but then we're using them in games where they're up by five runs late. Not sure if I understand the decision-making, but again, there's, Certainly some other decisions go into, you know, maybe a guy really feels like he needs to get some work in or something. Um, Blue Jackson experience in full effect it again. Uh, puts some runners in scoring position, but manages to emerge on scathe. Braves win 6-1 to one on Saturday. And that brings us to today's game, Scott. Uh, fun game. Uh, I, I, yeah. Game that uh, – game <laughs> – again, you look at the line and you kind of look at the guys who performed and who didn't, and it's kind of sneaky that what this offense did. Uh, except for, uh, you know, spoilers, Austin Riley features prominently in this game too. Um, before the game, uh, Bryce option, Bryce Wilson was optioned, uh, headed down to Gwinnett. Uh, Jay Flaw, which is a, cl- uh, a waiver claim the Braves made from the Orioles recently as a bullpen arm, he came back up. Uh, probably should have pitched in this game, but you know, again, we're, you know, usage of the bullpen has certainly been a thing lately. Uh, I'm not, I don't, I didn't hate, uh, optioning Bryce Wilson before the game, obviously. I think that the, with the, the multiple days off, that the Braves are going to try to stick with a four-man rotation and just, you know, get those guys on regular rest. And I'm sure that Bryce or Tucker, at the very least, will be back up uh, once they need that guy. Bryce won't be eligible to come back until June 2nd, I believe. 
So, but I didn't hate it. You know, I, I wish that Bryce would get a consistent shot, but you know, considering the, you know, the, the issues in the bullpen, I don't necessarily hate using the roster spot to kind of get another fresh reliever and giving this guy a shot. Yeah, it, it's certainly worth doing, right? If, if Bryce is not going to be needed, you're probably not going to pitch him in, in long relief in the bullpen. I think Josh Tomlin at least should be in that role. Whether or not he's used in that role it remains to be seen, but yeah, yeah, let Bryce go down, maybe let him make a start with Gwinnett, keep him fresh, keep him ready to go. Um, Jay Flaw is kind of an interesting, uh, arm. He was not particularly good with, um, with the Orioles. Again, I always laugh a little bit. There was another very minor trade the Braves made, uh, with the Arizona Diamondbacks over the weekend for, I, I don't even recall his name off the top of my head. You probably know it. Um, but anytime a team just plucks a random reliever, they, they must see something that they like. Um, hey, if it gives them another right-handed arm to, to try out, maybe he gets a spot, uh, you know, a spot to, to appear against the Red Sox this week. Uh, you mentioned the two off days. You really shouldn't need too much in the way of bullpen depth. And of course, not much in the way of starting pitcher depth after Bryce pitched, but, um, Hey, see what you got and keep Bryce fresh. And as we've talked about him and Tucker Davidson sure seem like they're going to be in the mix and are, are clearly ahead of Kyle Wright at this point in the pecking order. Yeah. Uh, and again, you, you noted that flaw doesn't seem like he's looked particularly good at any level, really like minor leagues are, and his brief stint in the majors. Um, yeah. I will say he, he hasn't looked awesome. I will say that he's made three appearances for Gwinnett. Hasn't given up a run, a couple of walks, four strikeouts and like two and two thirds innings. I mean, sure. If that's enough to make you think that maybe he deserves a, bull, a bullpen spot, maybe there's something there. We'll see. Um, Max Freed got the start today on Sunday, uh, as we record this. Uh, was not sharp early and, you know, wasn't missing bats like you would kind of hope to see from Max, which is kind of the one thing that you do expect to see from him is that he'll get his strikeouts. Uh, gives up a run in the first. That's pretty much where the, <laughs> the good news ended for the, the Pirates as, uh, Austin Riley continued his torrid tear through, <laughs> uh, through the league. Uh, it's a three run home run. Uh, which gives the rele- the Braves the lead, which they did not relinquish. Um, then, you know, the bottom of the order, the the, the sliders that this guy um, was throwing was kind of mowing through most of the Braves lineup, truly, until it got to Austin Riley again, and he hits a two-run bomb, his second home run, second multi-homer game in three games, because, of course, he would, right? That's just kind of what the, the case would be yeah. this week. Uh, oddly enough that we were his, that week after his debut and, uh, Bowman, uh, tweeted about this where he like went wild and hit like five home runs in a week. This week was somehow better for Austin. Hmm. <laughs> uh, and yeah. you know, when you, if you think about what he did when he, when Austin was called up and now tore, how tore of a pace he was on, like it's, it's really impressive what he's done this week. Uh, and you know, if he, again, it's hard to ask him to continue to do this. But if he has another like crazy week next week, like he's gonna win Player of the Month for May, which would give the Braves back to back, you know, Players of the Month, which would be kind of wild. Uh, Ronald's not gonna win it this month, uh, unfortunately, but you know he still looked pretty good this month. Uh, Dansby Swanson adds a two-run bomb in the sixth inning, makes it a seven-one game. Uh, again, last five games or so. I don't want to draw too many conclusions because again, I w- with Dansby, I've been kind of consistent in that we've been dealing with a fairly small sample size for a, a hitter that can be pretty streaky. Yeah. But last five games have looked pretty good, and you know he must have seen that Orlando Arcia was doing work down in the net. <laughs> I don't think that he wanted to lose any playing time because he has looked good the last five games for sure. Yeah, he has. The strikeouts are still a real concern. I mean, for a yep. guy of his profile, he should not be striking out as much as he has been. Um, but th- there are signs that he might be coming out of it. A couple homers this week. 
um, hit the ball hard a couple times as well, even if he hasn't seen immediate results that, that, you know, would believe you or lead you to believe that he's, he's on his way. Um, yeah, I mean, it, inevitably as, as the year progresses, we have seen Dansby have ups and downs before and maybe he started the year on one of those downers and now he's going to break out for the next month and, at this point, I think we know who Dansby is. It's it's such an important year for his career and his uh, development, and, and frankly, you know, potential to be the Braves' cornerstone shortstop for the next uh, however many years. Uh, so hopefully, this is an, an encouraging sign for him. He has hit well at home, which is I think worth pointing out. He has hit well at home, but he has been just brutal away from Truist. Uh, of course, they're going to head to Boston for a couple days here, and then I believe uh, New York after that. Um, you know, the, he needs to find some consistency. And if, if he is this guy who has a great month and then a horrible month, hopefully June and the rest of May is, is one of those good months for Dan Spain and he's able to help carry the load. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, I'm going to make a quick note, and then we're going to go back to Dansby. Um, after that, Snip, uh, Snip goes to Chris Martin in a 7-1 game because reasons. And again, with the off day this coming on Monday, not that big a deal in terms of, like, using a guy because you're going to get that guy at rest anyway. But you do wonder a little bit about, like, usage and, like, why certain decisions are being made. Because, again, it felt like for a while that the Braves had, like, three close games in a row that they lost, that they weren't using these guys, and they are using – now they're – and because of usage, but then they had opportunities to give them days off in, like, fairly healthy leads, and they end up getting used anyway. I, I just have some – I would say they're minor concerns about that usage – but I actually want to go back to Dansby. So you, we, we kind of know what Dansby is now, and you've mentioned that as to kind of what kind of guy he is and the, the concerns that we have, uh, as well as the things that he is good at uh, and, there, and that, that he does have some things going for him. He's going into his last year of arbitration, which means that, you know, in terms of that, you know, those before he hits the free agency, this is going to be the, the big the, – if there's going to be big money being paid in arbitration, it's going to be this year. Would you just right now? We we have plenty of time to change our minds one way or the other going forward. Do you think that when twenty twenty two starts with the Braves, that that Dansby is a, a Atlanta Brave, and do you think that mm. if he is going to be, that's going to be his last year there? Here, I, I think you. I would imagine yes for a couple reasons. The one I think the one reason this is not an obvious answer is the shortstop class this offseason is looks very, to be very outstanding. Good. I mean, some like genuine stars, Trevor Story, uh, Corey Seager, uh, somebody else, who am I forgetting? Um, oh, Carlos Correa. I mean, there are some genuinely star-level shortstops here. Uh, so that's the only reason I think it's it's not like a no-brainer because Dansby will be owed a reasonable ten, eleven, twelve million dollars. Yeah, real money. Yeah, uh, yeah, real money. Right. This is not two million bucks. It's like oh, whatever. We'll take him, and if he has a bad first two months, we'll we'll just adjust. Um, I would guess as of today, knowing that we still have a hundred and however many games to go, um, yes, he will be the shortstop next year. Will he be this team's shortstop of the future? I think the next few months might really tell us honestly um he is not a young man anymore he is presumably in the prime of his career arc in terms of his age and i think this is going to be his fifth full big league season uh we have seen dansby be very good at times and we've also seen stretches where he's you know he's barely making contact it was happening earlier this year um he's an interesting guy and 
Of course, being that number one pick and having all that prospect pedigree does carry some weight, but ultimately it, it's such a, pre, a premium position as shortstop. Um, if, if you're trying to win big, you're going to need good, consistent play, and and you hope that Dansby can kind of settle in and put these early season struggles behind him. What do you think, Eric? So this is a tough call for me, uh, and I've been I, I try to make sure that when Dansby does well, that you know that's pointed out, and that when he's done poorly, that that's pointed out. Because you know, like I, I wrote an article it was a couple of years ago, uh, you know, you know about Dansby and what his future with the Braves, and I got a lot of hate for it. And it, the, the article was very much like, you know, there's good and bad about them. Now, this is when, like, offensively he was, like, truly terrible. Uh, he, had, he had a really bad stretch. Yeah. But it was worth kind of just thinking about kind of, you know, looking forward. And one of the reasons you think about that is this shortstop class, right? It's that, you know, even if you – like, if you sign and you keep Dansby through 2022, you know, the shortstop class, I, I feel comfortable saying – that your options in 2022 are not going to be as good as they are this coming offseason. Now, there's some factors here, right? One, are the Braves even willing to spend on those three guys that we mentioned, like even be in that ballpark? We don't know the answer to that question yet. There's also a collective bargaining agreement that's going to be coming up that's going to be impacting a lot of decision-making for a lot of guys as to you know how what decisions they make, what arbitration number maybe Dansby is willing to accept in order that he, he will get paid. Uh, is there going to be a work stoppage? But the fundamental thing I just keep coming to is that I just don't know. I don't. In terms of upgrades elsewhere on the roster, it seems like the easiest one to make is there, right? Like you know, like Austin Riley is the the, the other guy here, and he's basically impossible to take out of the lineup right now because he's hitting so well. And there's just not an easy upgrade at third base like there is at shortstop this coming off season. Because in the outfield, you have multiple options internally that you can promote. Uh, Drew Waters has been hitting well. You have Michael, Michael Harris that's kind of lurking in the back too. You don't really have that guy at third base that's kind of pushing anybody like, like Austin. And same thing at shortstop, but you have free agent options that are the easy thing to, I say easy. They're expensive, but when you look at Dansby, you don't look at him and go, you know, this is a guy that we can count on in most situations. When he has those three game, when he has those like three week stints where he's, you know, going crazy, it's fun, but he's also yeah. a guy that's had injury problems and he has looked, his, his, while his ceiling has been quite high, his floor has been really bad. I mean, we forget that when like, you know, the year after he debuted, like he couldn't feel to save his life for a while. And yeah. then there had, then you call, then there's times where he just can't hit at all and has had stretches this year where that's been the case. I'm not saying that the Braves won't bring him back. I, I, because it's too early to say. I would certainly entertain the idea though, and I hope that the Braves do, of that's the place where they make an, a real upgrade. The problem being is that when you're talking about a premium position like that and you're talking about guys like Carlos Correa, Corey Seager, those guys are going to make a lot of money and mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to be bidding on them. Yeah. And we just don't know where the Braves are going to be at monetarily. We just don't. Yeah. I mean, it's tough to say. Of course, you just, you just never know what the future and a guy like Dansby who's been so up and down. And ultimately, I think right now he's shown that he can be an average-ish big league shortstop. Yeah. He's not great. He's not terrible. There are a lot of good shortstops in the game right now. Um, but we know who Dansby is. And I think if there's something to be said for an average hitter who's going to play solid, reliable defense every night, 
but anytime you're talking about some premium talents at shortstop, like a Trevor Story, a Corey Seager, a, a Carlos Correa, um, you at least have to think about it. And of course, the unknown with Freddie Freeman, who that, that, uh, that's what I was about to say. Yeah, that, that and you financial just financial commitments. Uh, yeah. Right. And we think that, I mean, I, I think most people think the Braves will eventually reunite with, uh, Freddie Freeman, but all it takes if he does hit free agency is, you know, if, if a team comes calling and says, Hey, Freddie, we'll give you an eight year deal and give you $35 million a year. I don't know. It's, it's a different conversation. Of course, we're, we're talking very hypothetical and down the road, but if, I, I think Freddie Freeman will largely dictate what the Braves are or are not able to do this winter because he is, of course, the 1A, top of the line, never in doubt, priority moving forward. Absolutely. Uh, and again, the, the Freddie Freeman uh, financial commitment or lack thereof is kind of the elephant in the room with kind of the Braves' financial and roster plans going forward. Uh, we've certainly spent plenty of time, all three of us really, I've been kind of talking about that and, you know, for a while. And, you know, it is May 23rd. We're approaching Memorial Day. The Braves have still not extended Freddie Freeman. And that just makes it more likely that he hits the open market. Um, and it's just, it just seems more and more likely, albeit incrementally so, that he might not be a Brave next year. And that would be a big deal. Uh, and that might have to change your decision making calculus a little bit. Um, that pretty much finishes the slate of games for the week. Uh, a few no- news items before we wrap up here. Uh, the Braves did make a trade, as Scott mentioned, for Yon Lopez. Uh, hasn't been good lately. Uh, hasn't really been good since 2019, frankly. Uh, but considering that they traded for a guy who was still in extended spring and is 20 years old, uh, for him, you know, you stash him in Gwinnett, you kind of hope for him. A uh, little known fact or a little fun fact is that, uh, he is the player that hit Dansby Swanson in the face when they were yeah. both uh, Arizona Diamondbacks, uh, way back when, and, uh, there are more than a few rumors that that was not by accident. Uh, there's, he's kind of had some, uh, somewhat famously he's been dealing with some sort of, uh, mental health, mental health issues, uh, and certainly had some anger management issues. Uh, it seems like that he's kind of gotten that resolved, but in terms of like the baseball on the field stuff, uh, it seems like he's only been, he hasn't been particularly great, hasn't been great for a couple of years, but was good back in 2019. Maybe the Braves see something. Uh, that they can maybe refine, refine him and maybe make him a useful arm out of the bullpen. But for now, he's getting stashed at Gwinnett. They didn't really give up you know, a prospect that, frankly, I had never seen or heard of. Uh, yeah. So, uh, and again, <laughs> yeah. considering considering that's the case, and a cursory look at his numbers as he's 20 years old, he signed as a IFA uh, back in 2017 and still wasn't in full season ball. Kind of tells you that you know that was kind of a minor lottery ticket. It's functionally cash considerations, but the. You know, the Diamondbacks just decided that they'd rather just take a chance on a scratch off as opposed to just taking the money. Um, so the Braves finished the week four and three. Uh, I think that it's fair to say that we we're maybe hoping for a little bit better than that, but considering how it could have gone, uh, four and three is perfectly reasonable. Uh, it's progress, especially since with what the, the Braves had been kind of doing, which is, you know, looking good for a little bit and then very not. And not much has changed there, but at least they kind of made some progress towards getting back towards 500. Coming up this week, uh, two off days this week uh, with a two-game series. Uh, that two off games that are in the middle there. You have a two-game set at Boston, followed by a three-game series that at the Mets. That does feel pretty important. Uh, if they want to try to make up some ground with the Mets, they need to. It seems like doing some damage in that three-game series in New York feels like that'd be a pretty important step towards that. Scott, yeah. before we let everyone go, is there anything that you're working on or anything that you want to plug before we go? Uh, no, I mean, as always, check the site and and. Uh, I know I personally check the minor league recaps every single morning to see how guys do oh, and you and your team you. do wonderful work. And of course we, we all get tied down in the day to day of the brave season. 
uh, the big league brave season. Um, but there's a lot of exciting young players to, to, to read up on. And it seems like there's a lot of good things happening in the lower levels of the system right now. So, uh, be sure to check out those and, and a big thank you to everyone for, uh, for tuning in to listen to Eric and I ramble on about, uh, about the Braves and, uh, hope all is well with you, buddy. Uh, doing really well. And I appreciate the kind words about the minor league side of things. Uh, I do have, a uh, one small plug to make. Uh, speaking of guys who are performing well at the minor league and the lower minor leagues, uh, I did manage to secure an interview that I thoroughly enjoyed, uh, having with one Spencer Strider. Uh, if you haven't heard that name before, you are probably going to be getting familiar with it very quickly because he's throwing 98 to 100 miles an hour in low A, uh, and is striking out something like 22 batters per nine. Uh, so far this season, uh, it's been kind of insane. And honestly, talking with him about baseball, this isn't the guy that's just chucking the ball. Really knows, like, no, like knows what he wants out of development. Has made a lot of like conscious changes. Was really, really forthcoming in kind of talking about those changes, what he's had to go through when he had injuries, et cetera, et cetera. Really, just enjoyed the interview. That's gonna be going up tomorrow, Monday. Uh, and again, make sure that you, you give that a read, tell your friends about it. Make sure that you tell your friends about the podcast too. Uh, the great thing about this podcast stream is that you get two podcasts for the price of three. Uh, one is this podcast here, the flagship program that is normally hosted by the great Brad Roland. Uh, but we gave him a weekend off so that he could spend time with his friends and hopefully sleep for a few hours because that man is going to be on a, um, He's going to be on a bit of a, a workload here over the coming weeks with the, the Hawks about to be entering playoff mode. Uh, and then you also get the Road to Atlanta podcast, which is the minor league podcast that I host every week uh, with uh, various members of the minor league crew over here at Talking Shop. Uh, that's going to be going up tomorrow night, uh, on Monday night. Uh, again, just kind of we review what's been going on each week in the minors down there as well. You subscribe to this podcast feed, whether it be iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever your preferred pod, podcast purveyor is. You get both podcasts each week. Uh, we might be adding more podcast content uh, during the week as well for various topics, uh, et cetera. So just make sure you kind of keep an eye out for that as well. Thank you all so much for supporting the podcast, and we'll see you guys next time. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G Podcast. we got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. 